0: Hello, Eugenie here. You are in for such a treat today. We have got award-winning filmmaker Laurel Chiton in. She produced an amazing film called Just One Drop, which is about homeopathy. It is uh, such an important film. If you haven't watched it, I urge you to do so. So a little bit about Laurel. She has been influencing social issues for over 30 years. Her high-profile films have screened at film festivals around the world at universities and at medical schools. She's won numerous awards, been nominated for a National Emmy and been broadcast on PBS's Emmy-winning national series Independent Lens and POV. Her previous films have gained her acknowledgement and respect from doctors, researchers and institutions, including Harvard Medical School, UCLA, MIT and Harvard University. Laurel was an artist-in-residence at the Bellagio Conference and Study Centre, sponsored by Rockefeller Foundation, Yaddo and the McDowell Colony. Before working in documentary film, Chaitan was a certified sign language interpreter and involved in deaf theatre as a writer and director. She is the CEO of Blind Dog Films and a member owner of New Day Films. Her intention in all her work is to entertain her audience while educating them, and she definitely delivers that with her documentary Just One Drop. It is so entertaining and also so educational, actually since the success of her film. Laurel has become very passionate about exploring unique forms of distribution and exhibition which led her into the world of digital marketing. So she's recently launched Your Video Angel to help entrepreneurs use video and storytelling to attract and retain customers. I know you're going to absolutely love this episode and we'll jump right in. Enjoy. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout podcast where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now your host, Eugenie Kruger.
1: Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangouts. Today we are hanging out with award-winning filmmaker Laurel Chiton. A very warm welcome, Laurel.
2: Hey, thank you. Nice to be here.
1: You know, its I just can't believe my luck to have you here today and to get to um, spend some time with you because I have two favorite movies that I could watch over and over again. It is one of your films, Just One Drop. I know you've made many, but that one is my favorite and the one we'll be talking about today The other one is Frozen 2, which is all about the memory of water. So um, yeah, it's just so exciting to have you on today. But before we jump in, how did you learn about homeopathy?
2: Oh, well, I knew actually what homeopathy was way back when I was maybe a teenager. I was very interested in alternative medicine and yeah, I knew a little bit about it, didn't think much of it. And then as I grew up, I became a big skeptic. And I always joke and saying I was from Boston, and that's the medical mecca. And so I was very influenced by that mindset. And so I started hearing about homeopathy, and I thought, oh, my God, it's so stupid. Like, why does anybody spend their money on this stuff? So when I'm in San Francisco, I had a friend of mine who had some kind of health issue, pretty actually significant health issue. And she was waiting for this man who was an MD homeopath who lived in Los Angeles he had retired and he came back again. He was waiting for his license to get come back or be renewed. And she's like, "I just want to work with him." And I remember like like rolling my eyes internally and like, "Oh my god, what is she wasting her time for?" And she went out to Los Angeles to see him from Santa Fe. It's, you know, a flight. And she started getting a little better. And I had a chronic health condition. And, and I remember it, it got exacerbated because I got in yet another car accident. And now I actually had insurance money from that car accident. And I said, I'm going to go out and see this guy. And I was really, when, when do people go to homeopathy? They go when they're desperate, when they've seen and tried every single possible intervention. That was me. But by the time I went, I actually was open-minded. I wasn't skeptical. And then I went and met this guy. And understanding, he was an MD who only plas- practiced homeopathy because he got such good results. So I went to see him, and and I remember we were talking. He knew I was a filmmaker, and he had actually seen some of my films. And he said, "When you get you know, he, when you get better, I want you to make a film about um, autism and homeopathy because he was working with autism." And I used to joke and say, "Doctor's orders." And so. I said, "Well, yeah, maybe." And then I started feeling better. And I went, "Okay, what kind of film do you want?" And he goes, "Oh, nobody knows how much success I'm getting, and I want you to, you know, really make the film about this." I said, "Okay, find me one family who has an autistic kid who's doing homeopathy." And I said, "Find me that family, and I'll consider it." Well, he found me this family that not only were they did have an had an autistic kid and were, was working with homeopathy, but they had shot. Like ten hours of footage of home video footage from when the kid before the kid was born, when she was pregnant, the birth, the kid being normal, the kid the moment when the kid, the money shot, I call it when the kid you see the kids becoming autistic, and then kept going. And I went, oh my god. Okay, so now I'm gonna go interview this family. And at first I was gonna make a film just about homeopathy and autism. So I went to see the family and it was such a great interview. I mean, Nancy Korn gives a killer interview. She's so articulate. And I came away and I remember my, my crew said that was amazing, right? It was one of those stellar interviews. So I started there and then what started happening is I felt that's too small. Like people aren't going to, you know, we, homeopathy is too, I mean, I'm sorry. Um, autism is too small. I actually need to explain a bit more of what homeopathy is. I need to look at other conditions. So that was where I started, knowing that was kind of be the center. But then I went, oh, okay, now where am I going to go? And then yeah, I'm going around. I found this guy in New York who had MRSA. I think in Australia you might call it MR, MSRA. But I, his homeopath handed me to him. And he also, as a filmmaker, had footage. And I remember seeing his footage. And I'm like, oh, my God. I love, I love home footage that's skanky and raw. I love using that in films. So I went, okay, that's another story. And then so then we're moving along I'm working with my editor. We're making this film of which we had no real strong story. There was just this, this film and you know this story and that story and we're talking about the history, but it was flat. It had no real drama. And then I remember this day I went, was it oh, 2015? And after that two, 2015, 2016 around there. It was November. And I remember Rachel Roberts, who's one of my main characters, wrote me and... and, and, Oh, no, no. Sorry, sorry. Let me go back. Then it was March 2015. I hope I have my dates right. And the Australian report came out. And I remember it going everywhere. And that was the moment where I went, excuse me, holy shit, what's happening? So bad that somebody, it was a colleague and friend of mine in Boston who knew about homeopathy, read that report, saw the the articles about the report and said, I don't have to think about homeopathy anymore. Okay. And I'm like, that was like, oh, we got to do something about this. So I got slightly obsessed with this report. And I remember I was interviewing Rachel about it and Alex about it, sort of circling around it. So she knew my obsession with trying to debunk this report. And then um, and then she said, you know, there's a guy in Australia who's actually doing a lot of research to try to f- really figure out what's going on. His name is Jerry. Tell him I sent you. I said, okay, so I'll never forget that. I had this conversation on Skype. I think it was like 11 o'clock at night because I always have to do cuckoo hours with you people in Australia. <laughs> and And I had this conversation with him. I mean, I really remember it so clearly. Now, you have to understand, I was very close to finishing this film, which I thought was actually not a very good film. But we were very close. We had no money left. And I'm talking to this guy, and he's telling me this. And, and I, my memory is, he said to me, when are you coming? His memory was me saying, when am I coming? <laughs> but I kind of knew from that conversation that I was going to be going to Australia. But I had no money. So I went to my, um, executive producer and, and I just told him the story and he had given me a lot of money for this. And he said, um, okay, if you actually can find the story, like really find out more, I will send you to Australia. So I went, okay. So I started talking more to, for, to Jerry and he gave me some more information. And then, oh, and then he, no, this is what it was. That's when he found out about the first reviewer, that there was Mm -hmm. somebody who had done the first report, submitted her findings, and she got, as they say, in Australia sacked. Mm -hmm. And so that was enough of a smoking gun, because he says, I'll send you. So now I've done something I've never done in a film. I was becoming an investigative journalist, which none of my films have this kind of flavor to them. So there I was on a plane going all the way to Down Under. And it, I have to say, was amazing. It was an amazing experience. I mean, Jerry and his family put me up and they were just, he became like my brother and, you know, I call my my Australian family. And I, we went and shot, and I was able to get the head of the NHMRC to interview me. He was another country, and you know, I had to get him. And then I got all these people to talk to me that worked on on that, which was really interesting because, I think it was because of my former work that I had a lot of credibility and clout uh, because be, I had people from um, Harvard Medical School in my other films, and, you know, they sort of they, they were okay with talking to me. So there I was doing this investigative you know, journalism of what happened to that report. So then that report kind of took over the film because my editor and I were both like, oh my God, now we have some drama. And then I think it was another full year of working on that film before it was finally actually finished. So we totally changed everything.
0: Mm-hmm. Jerry is such
1: an unsung hero. He's in, I interviewed him for our second episode. And before that, I've had several other conversations with him just in his own time. He's so generous with his time and what he's doing for homeopathy worldwide is just absolutely amazing. One day, I hope there's going to be a statue made of him (laughs) in Australia because he deserves that. And he's, you know, so,
2: so humble. He's so humble. Yeah. He's, he's all of our heroes. He really is. Um,
1: but Laurel you know just and and you as well you and Rachel and Alex and Jerry I cannot thank you guys enough the homeopathic community will never be able to thank you enough for getting this information out there because it's so important and people are shocked when they see this movie they are completely shocked how can this be happening in Australia you know it's it it just seems so crazy I think we like to think of ourselves as a as a free country and not corrupt but then you have this report that's come out and all the fraud around it and um You know, anyone listening to this who hasn't seen the documentary, you're going to have to watch it now because it will completely blow your mind. Now, uh, can you tell us a little bit about why homeopathy is so controversial? It's been around for 200 years. Surely, you know, science has settled on it. But (laughs) why is homeopathy so controversial?
2: I, I don't know if I'm an expert to answer that, but mostly it's because... You know, they say there's, quote-unquote, nothing in it, because really nobody can prove why it works. And I mm-hmm. actually think that's the only reason it's controversial, because I think if they really could figure out the mechanism of action as to why it works with a real sound, you know, explanation that made sense to the, quote-unquote, scientific community, I think things would change, which is why Alex is doing his work with his water research lab. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it really is it's really hard to understand because there's there's nothing you know nothing in it. And the other reason I think it's so controversial is that it's really hard to find the right remedy. So I think if every single person who went to a homeopath took a remedy and felt better, it actually might be a little less controversial. But I know for me, I, I'm, I'm like the homeopaths are totally frustrated with me most of the time because nothing works. You know, So I understand the, the, the skepticism around it, but I think mostly is that there isn't something that is a clear-cut reason as to why it works. We just know it does work. And so people mm-hmm. feel it's all anecdotal, which, you know, even though there's tests, it is anecdotal. So that's why I think, I mean, I think it's the most obvious reason why it's so controversial. I don't know mm-hmm. if you have your own explanation.
1: Yeah, no, I, that sounds about right. It's just basically the way the remedies are made, I would say, because it's so dilute and, um, it's, it sometimes frustrates me because it feels like double standards. Uh, there is, and I don't have the dates of it exactly, but I think it was the Journal of, British Journal of Medicine or something like that, which had an article not so long ago where they were saying that paracetamol has been used for a hundred years and they still don't quite know exactly how it works. So you don't see a whole bunch of you know medical debunkers going around saying, oh, "Why are you you know why is orthodox medicine around because you know we don't know how paracetamol works, which would probably be the most used drug worldwide, but for a hundred years, they couldn't explain exactly how it works. So I just always get frustrated at these double standards. Um, so, <laughs> Yeah, yeah there,
2: are, there are. And then, annoying. you know, they used to say, you'll love this story, um, oh, we don't know how to anesthesia works. We don't know how people have loss of consciousness. So we're all kind of going around this. And I was talking to this guy. And I know when I first started doing the research on the report, and I wanted to talk to someone who really understood um, statistics and reports and all of this in a world that I didn't really know anything about. So I contacted this guy that I knew who's an MD, PhD. Um, in, in um, he said, I'm trying, He's a statistician and anesthesiologist. And so mm-hmm. I contacted him, and I said, well, we don't know how anesthesia works. And he goes, yes, we do. He said, you haven't been following me. <laughs> and he apparently has figured out exactly why it works. And he said, he, he's very, you know, he's funny, and he goes, no, you haven't been following my research.
1: So we no longer yes. can
2: say that. <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah. Well, the other example I love is gravity. Yeah. Like, you know, we still don't know exactly how gravity works. We have this great um, place here in Perth called SciTech, and they've got all these science things, and the kids love going there because it's very hands-on, so they get to play with a lot of different things and and um, figure out how uh, certain concepts work. And there was this huge display on gravity and it said, even though scientists can't explain how gravity works, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, that doesn't mean that we're floating off the face of the earth just because we don't understand how gravity works. And I sometimes feel with homeopathy, we're just not advanced enough to quite understand the mechanism of action. There are lots of theories out there, but yeah.
2: Have you been following the work that Alex is doing with the water research
1: yeah, I just recently um, listened to the AHA, they had their annual um, conference, and uh, yeah, and he's now going to Switzerland, I believe, to go and do some more work over there. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, because when we were interviewing him, he was, I don't know if you saw the epilogue in the film? Yes. We added, yes, and he talked about quantum I got the coherence. extended version. Yeah, it's the only version now, but mm-hmm. quantum coherence domain is where he was at the last time he was doing research. And of course, we asked him to explain. That's very complicated, but um, you know. But he's really doing a, a pretty extensive research. Just that's mm-hmm. his goal is to figure out what is the mechanism of action.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So amazing. anyway, yeah.
1: So Laurel, just a little bit more about the film itself. Like, why did you decide to make it? How long did it take you to make it? Oh, How has it yeah. changed your life?
2: Yeah. Well, great question. Uh, took me eight years to finish that film. And it was of all the films I made, and they were all difficult. It was definitely the most difficult. And it was difficult for so many reasons. One was that I couldn't get any traditional funding. I normally would get grants, I would get some money that would be supporting me. For this, it was all done by crowdsourcing. And I remember thinking, nobody cares. Nobody, you know, I was getting turned down left and right for all these grants. Until I started leaning into the people that were really interested, and I went, they care. So I started really nurturing um, that audience and in a time where I didn't really know what I was doing other than I was driven by, I have to make this film. So I just started, you know, building this audience. And this is before people talked about building audiences. This was like 10 years ago, really. And I was just reaching out to them, emailing them. They kept giving me more money. I kept having more campaigns, think of fun things to do to keep them engaged. And then I started finding some really big donors. And they came on as executive producers. I had to, But it was still a struggle and it was still not enough to really finish the film. Um, and then, so all of that was really, really stressful for me. But then even once I got finishing funds, The biggest stress for me was getting that calibration between the skeptics in my life who were really skeptical about homeopathy and the homeopathic community and getting that balance so that I could make a film that those skeptical people will actually watch. So I had to align myself with them and come from that point of view so that they would enter the film. And at the same time, really respect the homeopathic community. And so, getting that calibration really would keep me up at night. And I'm not kidding. That was the thing at three o'clock in the morning where I would be, I can't make this film. I cannot do it. I was so, had such anxiety about getting the story right, telling it the right way, you know, really honoring the homeopathic community. Because if I was making a film just for the homeopathic community, it would not have been that hard. But I realized that film would not really work because I really wanted to reach people that didn't know what homeopathy was. If I wanted to make a film that was clearly from a skeptical point of view, that would not have been as hard. But to get that balance, do you know what I mean? And still has really leaned towards respecting the homeopathic community. So giving people, figuring out a way that people would get that opening so that they would at least be curious about it. You know, if that's as far as I could bring people, I was happy. You know, so getting mm-hmm. getting that note and working also with an editor who was skeptical because everybody is skeptical, really, about homeopathy. And almost everyone in my life was like that. It was very emotionally stressful for me. Mm-hmm. So how it changed my life, to answer your question, is, well, when it was done, Then those same people that were giving me money, which really supported the film for all those years who were following me, I knew that was how I was going to distribute it. And I knew since it didn't get funded by any traditional means, it was not going to be distributed by any traditional means. So it was going to be distributed how it was funded, which was all crowdsourcing. And I ended up getting in all these theaters that were really driven by people deciding they want to bring it to their community. And I opened opened it in London, but then... Toured it in Australia for a month, and I think that was the best month of my adult life. I and I'm not exaggerating, wow. and I'm not saying it just because I'm sitting across from you in a way, literally <laughs> sitting across from you. Because <laughs> yeah. I went from theater to theater to person to person, and mostly a lot of them sold out, and and just like you know, went from every city. What do you want to do now? What do you want to do now? And it was it was such a magical, magical month for me. That, that I I honestly came away and like, wow, and I, I made some money with this film. And the biggest way it changed me is that I felt like I was done with filmmaking. I feel like it was really hard, and it was such a great release, and I'm done. So mm. those big ways. But homeopathy, the, everything has just permanently changed me. I mean, I never look at medicine the same way. I mean, even everything going on with COVID, all of this, it's I'm always looking at it from a homeopathic point of view like that. It's hard to, once you to know that, to leave that, you know, so so it, it affected me in a very profound way, um, working on that film, probably more a than of, any of my other films,
1: yeah. A lot of people say that um, my first interview on the podcast was uh, Amy Lansky, she's the author of the book yeah, Impossible I mean. Cure, which is her She was one of the sign. first
2: people I connected with when I started
1: making that film. Oh, she's amazing as well and uh you know it's interesting because she's then since gone on to write a book called active consciousness which is all about synchronicity and that sort of thing and you know if you think about the fact that she was an ex-nasa scientist and this is what homeopathy does to people it completely changes your paradigm and once it opens up your mind you can't you can't unsee what you've seen or you can't unknow what you know so it really opens your mind up in so many different ways and so many people will say that you know, they come from a medical model, but once they get introduced to the idea of homeopathy, it's like a new way of looking at the world and about possibilities. And uh, it's it's hard to be to walk away unchanged for sure.
2: Yeah, and and yeah. what I found most of the peop- most of the homeopaths I met were people that started off. They didn't like go in and say, "I'm going to grow up, and become a homeopath." I don't. There's very few, except for maybe Hilary Dorian's daughter. But most most um, <laughs> homeopaths start off in a totally different place. They were scientists or they were doctors or whatever. And then, and Alex is an example of this. And then they had a mm-hmm. remedy. They had, they were changed. They, they got better. And the way, wait a minute, mm-hmm. what is this? They were sick. Mm-hmm. They got better. What is this? And it totally changed their path. And I think mm-hmm. 90% of the homeopaths I met around the world have that story. So that's Absolutely. a compelling story.
1: It is. Um, I was going to ask you, am I understanding this correctly, but because of you having to find different ways to fund this film, it sounds like you've then gone on to help other filmmakers use this method as well. Is that correct?
2: Oh well that was that's a great question. Um that was a while ago. That was like my first pivot mm-hmm. from when I finished the film. Mm-hmm. I said, "Oh my god, this is one do I un- I understood marketing and two I really understood this kind of distribution and so I wanted to work with other filmmakers to teach them how to do that and I was working with this company um the one that I had There was a company in Australia that I toured my film with that used this model. And the one that had pretty much invented the model is in the United States. So I used them to tour my film in the United States. And I said to the CEO, I know how to teach filmmakers how to do this. It's a steep learning curve. It's not easy to understand how to do it, but I've become like really good at it. And I harassed him long enough until he finally said, okay, and he hired me. So I worked with them for about two and a half years. Um, just you know doing all that so in that sense yes I was trying to work with filmmakers showing them alternative ways to distribute their film but now I've gone into another direction <laughs> I've pivoted many times since then.
1: Um, I, I love how you were essentially forced into finding different ways of finding this film and it's very interesting in itself like I always find it fascinating why there are so many debunkers worldwide of homeopathy like why are people working so hard to debunk homeopathy when it's been around for over 200 years it is used by over half a billion people worldwide it is the one of the main forms of medicine in countries like india and um, it's been used by the royal family for 200 years um why do you think people are not more accepting of homeopathy and and why are there such um uh strong debunkers out there that seem to have their whole life revolved around debunking homeopathy when all they're trying to do is help.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and understanding all they're trying to do is help too. And this is That's the true. perspective. Yeah. And, and, and I do call them debunkers and not skeptics. Because um, they, 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 they're they like professional debunkers. And I, I think they're doing it for a few reasons. One is they truly, truly believe that homeopathy is bunk. And they're protecting the people. And there are some that are really, that's what they do. But the other reason is, I think, and I think the underlying reason, is that if they truly understood what homeopathy is and how it works, they would have what I call ontological shock, which means their whole worldview is shattered. And that is a really uncomfortable place to be. So I think that they have a lot at stake with making sure that their worldview is intact. So that's what I think that the real psychological um, underpinning of what is going on with many debunkers. Mm-hmm. And you know where I learned that term? I always love to say where I learned the term ontological shock is one of the films I made, which is a film about people that believe they're abducted by aliens and the Harvard psychiatrists who work with them. He said the very same thing about uh, people uh, with alien abduction that, that it was ont- what happened to those people it was ontological shock because their whole worldview was
1: shattered. Mm-hmm. So that's where I learned the term.
2: There's a lot of parallels. <laughs> yeah.
1: you've, you've done and this is a little bit off topic, but or, yeah. but not. you've done so many different films. Can you give our listeners a quick rundown of some of the films that you've made?
2: Oh, really? Oh, okay. Um, well, <laughs> this, this is a super quick rundown because yeah, it's yeah, from yeah. everything okay. from... Okay, my, <laughs> my first documentary was called Twitch and Shout, and it's about people with the neurological disorder Tourette Syndrome. And a lot of people now know what Tourette's Syndrome was, um, but back then nobody knew what it was. And if for people that don't know what Tourette is, it's the most dramatic symptoms, which only 15% of the people have. They call it coprolalia, where people have uncontrollable swearing and blurting things out, which is, which is actually, you know, it's, it, it's funny and it's good for a film, but the people think that's all of Tourette and it isn't. So, um, I made it a time when nobody knew what it was and that it became a bit of a household word after that. And I, and I actually put a lot of humor in it, which is a lot of my personality anyway. And I think that's why it was such a popular film because it was, I was looking at disability and actually letting us get up close and laugh. And, and the people, you know, the people with it were laughing about it. So that was my first. That was twitch and shout, and that's the one that put me on the map. And that one, like, wee. all of a sudden, I'm in all these film festivals, and I'm nominated for big awards and getting big awards. And I'm like, oh, and like, oh, you want to change? You want to change the world? Make films. So then, in every film, I say I'm done. Like, oh, I can't do that again. It's like when childbirth, you become amnesiac, right? It's like, okay, and then you, then I fall in love. I got to do it again. Because I have a topic, and I have to tell this story. So I become amnesic as how painful it is to give birth to these films. So the second film was called The Jew and the Lotus, which is about a bunch of rabbis that met with the Dalai Lama in India, because he allegedly had asked the Jewish people, tell me your secret of spiritual survival in exile. So that was was The Jew and the Lotus. And then after that, um, I made Touch, which is this film about alien abduction. And then I made a film called uh, Twisted, I'm not forgetting a film, which is about another neurological disorder, um, which is called dystonia. And it was really a film about relationships, you know, what it's like when, when, when people have this disorder. And then I made The June the Lotus. So those are all my feature length films, my longer films. And then I made a few shorts. Mm-hmm.
1: So let me get this right. You could get funding for alien abduction, but not for homeopathy. <laughs> yeah. I,
2: I know. I, got, I actually, I got, I did get, it's the only, yeah, a Jew and the Lotus is the only film I never actually got a grant. And I did get a small grant. And it's so funny. I got it from this woman who has funded a lot of my films, just because she really liked my films. And I think she was curious. So she gave me some seed money for that one yeah i know i know and what's so funny is that film is my only film that got into netflix it's my most mainstream film is about alien abduction (laughs) what does that say about my films
1: (laughs) right well what does that say about us as a human race um so, what is this? What is the main message that you're trying to get across with this documentary? Uh, why Why should people go and watch it? And what is the message that you're trying to get out about this documentary?
2: Hmm.
1: I've
2: got to think about that one. I think it's because um, I'm always fighting for the underdog, and I think that is probably an underpinning in all of my films. And I feel like homeopathy really has had. Did not have a fair shake ever. And it's really been the underdog of medicine. So all I was trying to do with this film is, as I said, have that bit of an opening for people who so many people are suffering and they don't know that there's a form of medicine that actually might help them. So that was really what drove me to keep making this film because, and then I'm going to back up a bit because when I went back to tell you why the first beginnings of the film was meeting with that homeopath, empty homeopath. I always called that the spark. Like that's what started it. But what kept me going for eight years was hearing story after story after story of people whose lives were dramatically changed with homeopathy. So I know so many people out there that are really suffering and nothing is helping them. So I want them just to know that this is a possibility so that they could choose to have this form of medicine if they wanted it.
1: Mm -hmm. And what you were just saying about that gentleman in your movie that had the MRSA or MRSA, as we say over here, is uh, antibiotic resistance is very real and it's very scary and it's because of overuse of uh, antibiotics. And I always say viruses and bacteria have been on this planet for millennia before any of us. They're much smarter than any of us. They're always going to mutate and they're always going to find a way. So to think that us as humans can somehow wipe them out with antibiotics is just a little bit crazy for me because they're always going to evolve and they're always going to change. And MRSA is a classic example of that and how with homeopathy, because it works with the body, uh, it was that that gentleman was actually able to heal using homeopathy from something that is completely antibiotic resistant and could have ruined his life. It could have been completely life-threatening. So, Yeah. That's,
2: and and they say with the MRSA, sense. once it's in your system, it doesn't leave. Mm -hmm. So, and that's what he told me, anyways, that if Mm he kept that route with antibiotics, if he cut himself again, he could have had another bout of MRSA.
1: Mm -hmm. And not even to talk about the antibiotics destroying his gut flora, which now with the gut-brain connection, we're just discovering so much more about how 80% of our serotonin is actually made in the gut, not in the brain. So we see all these people on antidepressants, but actually if we just heal their gut, it's going to help their serotonin production, which is going to help their mental health. So... Um, That's a whole other topic in itself, but that's why I believe homeopathy is so powerful. Uh, What are your hopes for homeopathy for the future, Laurel? Where do you see homeopathy going in the future, and what are your hopes for this amazing natural medicine?
2: Funny, I think my hopes are the same as they were years ago when I finished the film. For me, it's always about the integration of medicine. I would love, love to see, you know, conventional medicine and homeopathy somehow working together, and so they're not so polarized. And homeopathy is not always out here on its own, um, but it's really um, integrated into the healthcare system, and have it be the first line of defense that people use. And oh more than that, I, also, then the, the, there's another layer also I just want to say is that I would love to see more standardized um, care with homeopaths. In other words, I don't want it have to be for me as a user of homeopathy, as a patient, to have it, my um, choices of medicine or my health be dependent on that, home, that particular homeopath. And I would love to see that there's more of a sharing of knowledge and resource with all of homeopaths mm-hmm. around the world. I mean, that I don't know if, if you, homeopaths, you're that same dream.
1: Yeah, can you tell a little bit more about that? I'm not sure I understand.
2: Well, in other words, like, I've been to so many different homeopaths, and they each prescribe something totally different. And I would just mm-hmm. love to see more of a share of, like, oh, yeah, I had this, I, you know, this person had MRSA. Here's the remedy I use, and here's why I used it, so that there would be more mm-hmm. of a... Um, a consistency standardization a standardization with all of homeopaths
1: so I'll, i'll tell you my little take on that of my decades experience is one of the reasons why i love that homeopathy is not standardized and that it is so different is because our patients are so different so i always say we need more homeopaths we need homeopaths of all different beliefs walks of life colors races everything because at the end of the day you need to find a homeopath that resonates with you so the way that i prescribe is not conventional at all so i'm somebody that uses bowel noses endocrine sarcos organ supports i'll use tissue salts alongside constitutional remedies and detoxing so some of my clients love that others come to me and go what on earth have you given me so those clients prefer going to somebody who prescribes more classical and will give them one single remedy uh, it's interesting one of my clients with uh with children with autism came to see me and she loved this prescription that I gave her with we were detoxing some of the vaccinations we were treating her child's um uh, gut with a bowel noso, and and uh, she said well my family's in Ireland can you recommend somebody there I said well I don't know anybody but here's somebody that a colleague recommended she sent the person there and they just gave one single remedy and she was really shocked and they didn't have that great results. so but some people really love that. So I actually love that homeopaths prescribe so differently and I get bored very easily and that's one of the reasons I love homeopathy is that there's so many different ways of prescribing and I feel that as as clients they or patients, they then have that opportunity to go to a practitioner that resonates with them and that prescribes the way that they like. So I like that there's different ways of prescribing.
2: <laughs> you know, I'm listening to you and I'm reminded how... For eight years, or really ten years altogether, working on the film, how I never, ever got bored talking to a homeopath. That I find homeopaths, and and I'm really not saying this to, to flatter you, but to be some of the smartest people I've ever met, and the most interesting. And I never got tired of hearing of a case that I'd say, well, what remedy did you give? And I got to hear their whole process of coming up with the remedy. And it just gets really deep and really fascinating. So I'm listening to you now and I'm re-engaging with that part of myself. And I said, yeah, this is why that film was actually such a great experience. On top of all the anxiety I had, it was also very, very rich.
1: Well, I have this little theory in the back of my head that I believe in another... 50 years time because homeopathy is just energy medicine and we're just starting to learn about you know quantum energy and and you know biology of belief you know the power of the mind and all that sort of stuff and I won't be surprised in a few in say a few decades time if you come to a homeopath and they just say that remedy's name and the residence of that is able to cure the person because I cannot tell you Laurel how many times I've had phone consultations, online consultations. And I remember a time specifically where the client was sitting in front of me on the, on the computer, like you are now. And I said to her the remedy, Nat Mur. And as I said that, she had this visceral response in her body. She's like, I could feel it already. And, you know, some people are more sensitive to energies than others, but even just saying the name of that remedy, the resonance of that was, um, yeah, very profound for her. So, you know, I, and what I was going to say about homeopaths is I don't think we're smart, but I think we're open-minded, and I think that's the difference, is being open-minded and not being scared to have your paradigm or your beliefs challenged, and then if you are finding there is a different way, then going in that direction and not being so stubborn and closed-minded that you're not entertaining the idea of another option. Very curious. <laughs> Definitely. Um so just to finish up with, I would love to ask you your three favorite homeopathic remedies and why.
2: Oh, I can't do that. I don't have a favorite homeopathic remedy. Can okay, ask a sure. different question. <laughs> I can tell you what my favorite homeopathic story, but ask me a different question.
1: Do you have any yeah, no, you can here? tell your favorite homeopathic story if you like. Oh,
2: well, well this is one I, I used to tell in audiences all the time about my dog, Shadow. And this <laughs> is, he had, um, I was going to a workshop somewhere. I was going away, some retreat. And like two days, three days before, he started developing this cough. And it was really, sounded like a duck. And it was kennel cough. And kennel cough is very contagious. So I would walk, I'm right here in Central Park, and I would walk him, and he'd be, <laughs> I tell this story, I always have to have a sound effect, <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, and I had to like stay away. So I, I don't have a home, I don't have a veterinarian, because I would treat mostly homeopathically my animals, but I had to call a vet and say, what is it? Oh, it's very, this is very serious. You need to bring your dog in. I said, well, what's the treatment? They said, 10 days of antibiotics. And it also would mean one, I don't want to put my dog in antibiotics, and two, it meant I'd have to cancel my retreat. I said, "Give me a couple of days." So I contacted my homeopath, and I said, "What do you recommend?" And she's like, "Okay." And so she, per- there was one remedy. I don't remember what they were, but I was with full belief and it's kind of work and desire, and I put it in water. Here, Cheryl, I have the water. Drinks it. Uh, nothing. Like, what do I do? Okay, she came up with a second remedy. Again, the same belief. This is why people say it's all belief. I'm like, no, it's not. It's so the same belief, same excitement. Here, take this because I wanted to go on that retreat and I wanted my dog to feel better. So I put the water there. <clears throat> Nothing. The other thing I have to add, it was worse with movement. So when I would walk him around, it got worse. So I called my homeopath again. What do I do? So she came up with a third remedy. And I, I don't remember what it was, but... It was, and I didn't have it, but it was similar. I did research. It was similar to this other remedy, which was Ipecac. And I went, well, I have that. Let's try that. So now I don't think it's going to work anymore. I'm like, homeopathy is bunk. It doesn't work. Let's just try one last time. Put it in the little thing of water. Gave it to my dog. He took a a little bit of drink. It totally stopped. I'm like, nah, that couldn't be. So remember I said worse with movement. I put the leash on him, come on, and I'm dragging him. We're going to go for a walk, and I'm dragging him around. Nothing. Oh, my God. So then it came back a little bit. I gave a little water. Done. That was one of the most dramatic scenes. And I love telling that story because when people say it's all about belief, nobody believed it any more than me, that first one, that second one. And by the third one, I was like, it's not going to work. And so that was great. And I went on my retreat and I gave him to someone to take care of. And I gave these little sugar pellets, you know, they think I'm crazy. I said, if it starts again, just put this in water. It never, ever came back. People go on, oh, it's belief. And I'm like, yeah, you tell that to a mother who has a kid with an ear infection that they believe in the antibiotics and they don't work. And they're given a homeopathic remedy of which they do not believe it's going to work. And it does.
1: We hear that story over and over again. And often with animals and with babies, I find we get very quick results because their vital force is very uh, is not as suppressed. So the older we get, the more pharmaceuticals and interventions and suppressions on all levels we've had. So often we do need more remedies to really get that vital force to kick into gear. But with dogs and babies, often they haven't had as much intervention so often. So, Laurel, how can people get a hold of you? How can they engage with your work? How can they find out more about what you do? Okay, that's
2: good. Well, I will tell you what I'm doing now. Um, I told you I I pivoted again, and I developed this company. It's called Your Video Angel, and I help entrepreneurs, specifically course creators and membership owners and entrepreneurs, how to use video in their business. And I just had a workshop where I teach them how to make uh, video testimonials, and it did really well. So I'm launching this new business. So the best way to reach me, you could go to my website, which is um, yourvideoangel.com. Um, or you could write me my, what's the best email for me to use? I, if you want to know more about Just One Drop, you could write to, you could just go to the website, which is justonedropfilm.com, And you can get all the information you need there um and yeah and then there's always my email which i could give you if you want to connect it on the podcast you want me to say it here or yeah sure go for it. i'll
1: have it in the show notes anyway
2: okay um well probably the best for this film you probably should go to just one drop film at gmail.com Mm-hmm. That's probably the easiest thing. And let's face
1: doing. it, if you type in Laurel Chiton in Google, you're the very first person to come up. So it's not <laughs> I'm the only hard to one find out you. there. I'm the only one out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, Laurel, I can't t- thank you enough for your time. Thank you for creating this incredible documentary. It's touching so many lives, it's waking people up. It is just um such an important piece of work. I really urge everyone to go and watch it if you haven't already. You can. Uh, rent it or buy it for very cheap online. So, um, or people can still arrange movie screenings and things like that if they want, and they can get in touch with you about that as well. But go and watch this documentary. It will open your mind. Um, and thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it.
2: If you mention Homeopathy Hangout, then you're going to get a uh, two-for-one uh, DVD sent to you so I've got that the physical
1: offer. DVD and I purchased the online copy and that physical DVD is great with well the online one too but just all the deleted scenes and all the extra bits and it's um yeah wonderful I highly recommend it
2: so anyway thank you so much this was really fun such a pleasure thank you thank, thank you so out. much okay oh take Bye. good care